Today on the Matt Wall Show, Congress is back in session and the Democrats have started the new year on an especially stupid note, which we'll have to discuss today. Also, five headlines, including the squad, the entire squad bending the knee to Nancy Pelosi. And the mayor of Portland apparently has decided that actually he doesn't want lawless hooligans to rule his city anymore. It might be too little too late for that. And in our daily cancellation, we will cancel Cosmo for claiming that obesity is not just beautiful, but healthy. All of that and more coming up today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, it's not easy to be an adult uh, because being an adult means you have to be responsible. You got to take care of business. There's a lot of pressure on you. Uh, and that's, but you know, grow up. That, that's, part, that's part of being an adult. That's what it means. It also means getting life insurance when you have people who depend on your income. And that's not just being an adult. That's being, if you're a, a parent, a spouse, got to take care of the people uh, that you love and who love you. Policy Genius makes it easy for you to compare more than 30 top insurers at once and save over 50% in the process. Plus, there's no hassle because their licensed experts work for you, not for the insurance companies. Here's how it works. It's very easy. Uh, first, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, and you can compare quotes from top insurers. And then Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as a dollar a day. Uh, you might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. You don't know until you until you go and try. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. If you hit any speed bumps along the way during the application process, they'll take care of everything. So it's really easy for you. The main thing you got to do is just go to policygenius.com and uh, almost everything else, all the hard stuff anyway, is taken care of by the Policy Genius team. And this is the kind of service that has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. And, uh, you know, you know you can trust that. I mean, listen, don't listen to me. Listen to what people who, listen to what the people are saying. Um, make it, this is what you want to do this year. This, is a, this, I think, is a good New Year's resolution for all of us. Make it the year you finally cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. Go to policygenius.com and get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and start the new year with one less thing to worry about. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So the first session of the 117th Congress was open yesterday with much ceremony and fanfare. This Congress, I'm sure, promises to be about as productive as the 116 that came before it. I'd be a little unfair. There were a couple of good ones in there. But credit to the Democrats for coming out boldly to start the new session and the new year and declaring at the outset their intention to take their lunacy and stupidity to new and unfathomable heights. Um, setting the bar for us was a, a Democrat representative, an ordained Methodist minister who delivered a prayer, a prayer which started out okay and, and was mostly fine throughout until it got to the end. And here's what that sounded like. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. That, by the way, was Representative Emmanuel Cleaver, or Representative E. Womanuel Cleaver, as he no doubt calls himself, or should call himself now. And as you just heard, in an attempt to be inclusive and politically correct, Cleaver addresses the prayer to the monotheistic God, and also Brahma, the Hindu God, randomly. Then he closes it with a hearty amen and a woman. Um, and there are many problems here, but let's focus on just two of them. First of all, I'm skeptical in general of ecumenical approaches to prayer and worship, even among just Christians. But certainly there is, there is no way to apply that philosophy to all of the world religions together. You know, uh, with all due respect to the coexist bumper sticker, 
praying to the monotheistic God and Brahma is like writing a love letter to your wife and addressing it to, to whom it may concern. Your attempt to cover all the bases and be as generalized and vague as possible defeats the whole purpose of the exercise. Worse, it only insults and degrades the person, in this case, the deity, you're supposed to be expressing your devotion to. You know, God, Brahma, Vishnu, Zeus, whatever your name is, you're better off not praying if that's how you're going to pray. But of course, this wasn't really a prayer at all and not intended to be. Rather, rather than being an expression of humble submission before the Almighty, which is what prayer is meant to be, it was intended as a symbolic and self-aggrandizing display of enlightenment to the world. So rather than saying, God, we adore you, the prayer was really saying, hey, world, don't you adore us. Get a load of us. Look how enlightened we are. And it fails even on its own terms anyway. After all, if you're going to be inclusive by naming random gods in your prayer, then you really have to name them all, don't you? Cleaver prays to Brahma and the monotheistic God, which I suppose is supposed to cover uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Hinduism. But he failed to mention, for example, the Zoroastrian god, Ahura Mazda, um, the Aztec sun god, uh, Hutzilpakteli, or any of the hundreds of other gods featured in the religions of the world. Inclusiveness is almost always a losing game because once you start trying to be inclusive, you have to be completely inclusive or else you've only made the exclusion of certain groups all the more obvious and pronounced. So Ahura Mazda might feel excluded if you just pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, but think of how he must feel now if you start mentioning other random deities yet still fail to acknowledge him. It's kind of like in school, you know, if one of the kids in your class was invited to a birthday party and you weren't, it was only mildly upsetting. But if 15 kids were invited and you still weren't, it was a tragedy. And this is what inclusiveness, inclusiveness gets you. But we haven't yet, of course, discussed the dumbest aspect of this prayer, which is amen and a woman. Now, amen is originally a Hebrew word and it passed through Greek and Latin before entering English. Through all of these languages, beginning with its biblical Hebrew origins, it has meant so be it, or let it be so, or truthfully. Its meaning has varied slightly. In modern usage, it's come to also mean something like, I agree, when shouted from the church pews during the minister's sermon. But it does not now have, and has never at any point had, a gendered meaning. Yes, it has the word men in it, but that is purely incidental. Again, this this comes from the Hebrew. And in scripture, when Jesus says, amen, I say to you, he's not saying, hey, dudes, I'm saying to you. And when a prayer ends with amen, it doesn't mean dudes rock or bro power or whatever the Democrats apparently imagine it to mean. It was already an entirely inclusive and neutral word. The Democrats here have added gender to a genderless word, even while trying to remove gender from gendered words. So the same people who gave us Latinx because they don't like the gendered connotation of Latino and Latina, have now given us a woman to infuse gender into a word that, uh, where it didn't previously exist. In fact, the Democrats just this weekend, this is how absurd it is, okay? Just this weekend, they also introduced new rules to strip away all official mentions of gender-specific words. So words like man, woman, mother, son, all would be banned under the, the new rules. The office of the whistleblower ombudsman would become the office of the whistleblower ombuds. Campaign manager would be campaign personager. 
I made that last one up, but don't put it past them. I'm sure that's what's coming next. The point is, as I have observed many times, when it comes to gender, as with so many other things, leftism is totally incoherent. It can't keep its own agenda straight. It can't help but contradict itself at every turn. One minute they're, they're making things genderless. The next minute they're making them gendered. One minute they're telling us that the word woman doesn't really mean anything anyway. The next minute they're asking us to applaud women simply for existing. And we'll have more on that in the five headlines in just a second. In a word, the left is confused and they seek to spread that confusion. They want us to join them in their intellectual and moral fog. They extend the invitation and wish to make its acceptance mandatory. And that is all the more reason to resist. Let's go to our five headlines. All right, I'm in, I'm, I am enjoying this, this, I have to say, just a quick note on football. If you're not a football fan, bear with me. But I'm enjoying this controversy with, uh, with the New York Giants who are very upset. Their fans are very upset uh, because they're missing the playoffs because the Eagles played the team formerly known as the Redskins last night. And um, Eagles are 4-11, and 11, you know, going, or I guess we're 4-10 and 10 going into the game, out of playoff contention, and uh, they lost. And so now the team formerly known as the Redskins is going to enter the playoffs at 7-9. and nine. They, So they, they've, they've, they've lost more games than they won. Um, and the claim is that the Eagles uh, basically forfeited the game or, or threw the game because they figure, well, what's the point of winning? I'd rather, we'd rather lose one more game and, and, and get better draft position. I don't know if it's true if they threw the game or not. And even if they did, I'm not sure I could blame them. Like, what is the point of winning at the end of the season if you're going to, you know, sacrifice three or four positions in the draft? It might make, probably throwing the game makes more sense and it should probably happen more often. It's probably what I would do if I was in charge of a team. Um, but anyway, the Giants are upset because because of, of the team formerly known as Redskins win, now the Giants don't make it into the playoffs. And so they're blaming the, the, the Eagles for, for, for throwing the game. Well, the Giants are 6-10. and 10. They lost 10 games. It's true. They, they could have made the playoffs if the, if the game against the, uh, with the Giants and the, or, uh, the uh, Redskins and the, and the Eagles had gone differently. But talk about entitlement. You're 6-10 and 10 and upset that you didn't make the playoffs. And blaming someone else, blaming another team for not getting you into the playoffs at 6-10. and 10. It's absurd. This is why I think we need to get rid of divisions in the NFL. Uh, because having even a 7-9 and nine team make the playoffs is, a, is just a joke. And a disgrace. But let's move on. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, speaking of jokes and disgraces, was elected to serve once again as Speaker of the House. And this makes, I believe, her, I think it's her 2000th term. She's actually the only member of Congress who started her career um, on the Senate in ancient Rome. And now she's going to return. And here she is uh, addressing the House. Here's what she had to say. It gives me great pride to serve as Speaker of the most diverse House of Representatives in the history of our country, with a record-shattering 122 women, 122 women, you can applaud that, 122 women, 100 years after women won the right to vote. Yes, applaud, just just like we we talked about in the opening, so applaud women just for existing. So uh, applauding the women. And notice, see, here's the thing. Everybody in the chamber there stood for this. It was a standing ovation. If you weren't watching, if you're listening, it was a standing ovation to women. Just just because they're women. Just why not? A standing ovation for all women. 
Um, and everyone in the chamber, of course, not surprisingly, stood for the standing ovation. I'm at the point where, where and of course, Republicans too, presumably, you know, there were some Republicans there. They stood also. I'm at the point where, I, like, my only litmus test is for a Republican is, um, will you stand for something like that? I'm at, I'm at the point where I, I almost don't even care what your other positions are. If you will just simply not applaud in a situation like that, I think I would I would vote to make you president. I don't even care anything else about you because I, I think that tells me everything I need to know. At least you're better than all the rest of these clowns. Now, if you're in the room and so oh, let's stand and applaud women. No, just, just keep sitting. Not because you have anything against women, but because that's completely silly and patronizing. And so you should just sit there and roll your eyes. I will vote. I will, I will vote for president, the first Republican in a, in a situation like that, who rather than stand and applaud, just sits and rolls their eyes because that is the appropriate response. Um, but by the way, speaking of Nancy Pelosi, as the Daily Wire notes, all six members of the congressional squad did vote to make her Speaker of the House. Um, six members. Now, wait a second. How are there? I thought there were six. Wh- wh- I thought there were four. Where did the six come from? Um, okay, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, we know about her. Congresswoman Risha, uh, Rashida, Rashida Tlaib. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, we know about her. You know, she's kind of like the blue Power Ranger, the, no, the one nobody really likes that much. Um, and Congresswoman uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. So they all voted for Pelosi, as they did back in the 2019 speaker election. Where do we get the other squad members? Now I'm just distracted by this. Uh, Congresswoman Cory Bush and Congressman Jamal Bowman are the two newest squad members. So there's a dude in the squad now. You you just, you can't do this. Going back to the Power Rangers analogy. It's like adding a purple and orange Power Ranger. You can't do it. The squad is set. I I feel upset about this, actually. I don't like this. I I like the original squad. It has certain symmetry to it. You knew the role of each one. Now you just start adding more in. I mean, next thing you know, there's going to be 50 people on the squad. It just doesn't work. Uh, Too many cooks spoiling the broth, you might say. But in any case, they all, th- th- this, this, these are the, the radical, new, young, revolutionary uh, leftists, the socialists, the Marxists, and they're all lining up, bowing down, kissing the ring. No big surprise there. Number two, Representative Don Young, a Republican, had, um, had some supposedly inspiring words to share as Congress opened its new session. Uh, this is this was being shared a lot on 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 Twitter and making the rounds online. A lot of people liked it because it was very bipartisan and unifying. Um, I kind of have a problem with it. Maybe that won't surprise you to learn, but here it is. Madam Speaker, before I issue the oath, I'd like to take privilege of the floor as the dean. And I've been in this house longer than anybody else. I've served with you longer than anybody else has served with you. I love this institution. I will be honest, I do not like what I see. It's time we hold hands and talk to one another. And Madam Speaker, I say this with all sincerity, you will be the Speaker of the House, not of a party. That may hurt some of you. The job of our nation is for the House of Representatives to govern this nation. It was never meant to be the executive branch. It was never meant to be the judicial branch. It's this house 
that raises the money and dedicates how it shall spend, and we are representing the people as we're elected. And I say this with all sincerity, Madam Speaker, that when you do have a problem or if there's something so contentious, let's sit down and have a drink. Well, and Nancy Pelosi would certainly have no problem sitting down for a drink, I'm sure. Uh, but, and, and also, by the way, the, the executive branch is supposed to govern. That, that's literally what the executive branch is supposed to do. But um, as far as holding hands and talking to each other, I, I'm, I'm not into that. I have to tell you. Now, Don Young, you can do that. And I think that there are, there's no shortage of Republicans in Congress who are willing to hold hands and talk. Be led by the hand. That's the thing. When you hold hands and you talk to the left, they're, they're, they're leading you in a direction. You're not just standing there. They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna guide you. They'd be perfectly fine holding hands with you and bringing you right over the cliff. So I'm not going to do that. Now, holding hands in general, like, I, I don't want to hold anyone's hand if they're not my wife or my child, even in church. Or sometimes you go and you, you're, you're sitting around the table. You know, some, some families are more you know, touchy-feely, and uh, they, they do the thing where you say grace before, and everyone's supposed to hold hands while saying grace. I'm not into that. Um, so I won't even hold hands in those circumstances. I certainly am not going to hold hands with someone on the left who despises me and everything I believe and everything I stand for. So putting aside any concerns about personal space, that's the real issue here. What, what are we going to talk about? The idea of bipartisanship or unity or all of us getting along, the idea of, of everybody getting along sounds good to me. I, mean, I like the idea of it. If I could just snap my fingers and make everyone get along, I probably would. Maybe I wouldn't because it'd be kind of boring, but I'd at least consider it. The, the problem, though, is that we're, we're dealing with, with people who that's not what they're interested in. Again, if you're a conservative, they despise you and everything you believe and everything you stand for. They hate, fundamentally. So what is there to talk about? No, I'm not interested in holding hands with somebody like that. I'm not really interested in talking to them. I'll fight for my position, for my stance, for my beliefs. But just sitting down and, you know, having a friendly chat. Um, I don't see how we do that. But I know Democrat, Republicans more than happy to do it. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Don Young says he's been there longer than anybody else. I'll be honest. I don't know anything about him. But that doesn't surprise me to learn either. The Republicans that have been there that long, what have they done? What have they done in terms of actually resisting and standing up to the Democrats? Not much. Now, um, there's one example of uh, cowardly Republicans. Let's go to the other side here. This is from a few days ago over the break, but I wanted to play it in case you missed it. Because I think it helps to build my case for Ron DeSantis 2024. Um, Here's what Ron DeSantis said. There's there's a, a, a clear change in tone here from what most lawmakers have said about the vaccine to what Ron DeSantis had to say. Here he is, listen. What I've said is um, I'm willing to take it, but I am not the priority. They're the priority. I'm under 45. um, And so the people under 45 um, are not going to be first in line for this. And so when it's my turn, um, I will take it. um, but, But this is who I want to be vaccinated. I want my parents, our grandparents to be able to get it. 
And, you know, granted, I mean, I'm an elected official, but whoop-de-doo. Uh, at the end of the day, let's focus where the risk is. I love that. I'm, a, I'm an elected official, but whoop-de-doo. Exactly right. That's why right now, Ron DeSantis, my, my personal favorite uh, right now for, for 2024. And look, a, a lot can happen in the meantime. So it's, and especially with politicians, they can find many ways to beclown themselves in the span of four minutes, let alone four years. I'm not saying that Ron DeSantis will do that, but I also don't know that he won't. That's why, you know, I've, I've always preached, you never get too attached to politicians. You never, uh, we, we hear this uh, among conservatives now, we hear a lot. And it's kind of disturbing to me, this idea of loyalty. Now, you have to be loyal, loyal to the president, loyal. To, no, we, we're not supposed to be loyal to politicians. They're supposed to be loyal to us. We don't have to be loyal to them. That's loyalty, really, with politicians. It's supposed to be a one-way street. Them to us, not the other way around. So um, there's no loyalty here. But right now, with how it stands, if he keeps this up, then I love Ron DeSantis for, um, for 2024, exactly for things like that. Now, number four, the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler could take some leadership lessons from Ron DeSantis. Uh, he has finally, after six months of lawlessness, he has finally decided that maybe it would be better if insane criminals weren't running amok in the streets of his city. But it might be a little too late. Uh, too little and too late, I think, for this. But, but here it is. My good faith efforts at de-escalation have been met with ongoing violence and even scorn from radical Antifa and anarchists. In response, it will be necessary to use additional tools and to push the limits of the tools we already have to bring the criminal destruction and violence to an end. Lawlessness and anarchy come at great expense and with great risk to the future of our community. It's time to push back harder against those who are set on destroying our community and to take more risks in fighting lawlessness. In closing, once again, I condemn anyone who engages in violence or criminal destruction, no matter what their ideology. You know what gets me about that? Here's what jumps out of me when I watch that. Is uh, he, he looks like he's about to cry. Now, Granted, Ted Wheeler is the kind of man who just always looks like he's about to break down in tears, or maybe just was in the like. He always looks like the guy, a guy who who just was weeping in the bathroom and just came out and is about to run back in and cry again. Uh, but it's never more obvious than right now. He really seems like he's on the verge of tears because he's really upset and he's he's hurt. He's uh, he's his feelings are hurt, and he's kind of right in a way because what he's saying is. Look, I've done everything for these people. I, I've, I've tried to give them everything they want, and they still hate my guts. They chase me out of my apartment. They're, they're protesting me at my house. I've done, I have bent over backwards for these people to give them everything they want, and it's still not enough. And he's very upset about that. Um, and on that end of it, he's actually right. He has given them everything they want. He has let them run through the streets and he's let them do literally anything they want. I think we could put it like that. Anything they want to include burning down buildings, killing people, looting. And he's let them do it for months on end. And it's still not enough. It is never enough. And the thing is, eventually everyone learns this. 
even a doltish, useless, incompetent buffoon like this clown, he eventually learned it. It took him six months to learn it, but, but eventually he did. That when it comes to these leftist radicals, it will never be. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can give them. There is no concession you can make that will ever satisfy them, ever. And so for that reason alone, you might as well just stand up and say no. Because whether you say no now or you finally say no six months from now or a year from now when you're fed up with it, the response is going to be the same. So you might as well preserve your dignity. Ted Wheeler, I mean, let this be a lesson. This is a a tragic lesson for us all. This is a man who has completely forfeited his dignity and his honor as a man And now he stands before us weeping and broken and hated by everybody. That's what you get, Ted. That's what you get. Don't mean to victim blame, but there it is. Um, Number five, here's a report from the New York Post. This is from, uh, this this happened uh, back right before the new year, but I've had it saved here because I wanted to mention it when we got back on the air. Uh, New York Post reports, a sculpture honoring police shooting victim Brianna Taylor was smashed by vandals over the weekend, prompting a probe by Oakland police, according to two reports. The memorial installed uh, two weeks ago in downtown uh, Latham Square was smashed in several places sometime on Saturday. This was a couple Saturdays ago. The bust includes a plaque that reads, Say Her Name, Brianna Taylor. Um, The artist, Leo Carson, says, At first I was stunned and shocked and hurt and angry. Just a whole bunch of emotions. It felt like I was personally attacked. And also they attacked Breonna Taylor and the BLM movement. Oakland police said in a statement that uh, a report had been filed uh, in the vandalism of the Taylor bust and that police were investigating the incident. Um, and there was a there's a GoFundMe now and there was a reward put out. I'm not sure what the, the latest is on this, actually. I don't know if they found the, the vandal. But two points about this. Um, number one, why was there a statue of Breonna Taylor in the first place? I'm, I'm sort of asking that rhetorically because I know, but what what did Brianna Taylor do with her life to earn a statue or a monument? I mean, generally, what we do is is we, or at least in the past, we've built statues and monuments for people who accomplish great things. All of these statues that are being torn down, in most cases, these are people who earn those statues because they did great consequential things because they reshaped human history. You know, because, because our lives are different today and better because they existed. That's the kind of thing that earns you a statue. And that's why I'm opposed to statues being torn down. With Breonna Taylor, though, uh, it's, it's not clear to me exactly what she did to, to earn it, other than the fact that she was killed in a police shooting. Uh, see, I, I don't know if that's really enough or should be enough to earn a statue. But the second point is, look, these are the new rules now, right? These are the rules. If you don't like a statue, you can just destroy it. Are we supposed to be outraged and offended by this? I'm sorry, I got to tell you I'm not. I have to tell you, I don't care at all that they smashed the Breonna Taylor statue. I don't care at all because the rules now, I didn't make these rules. The left has made the rules. And the rule is, if you don't like a statue... You can just destroy it. Now, I know they intend for that rule only to apply to them, but no. See, that game is over. That, that's, a, that's a New Year's resolution we can all make for 2021. That game is over. 
You don't get to have your own rules. You don't get to make exceptions for yourself. If you're saying this is the way it's going to be now for you, it's going to be this way for everybody. If you're allowed to tear down the statues you don't like, anybody else can. I don't know who tore down the statue, who destroyed it, but they're allowed to now. According to you, the logic that you have applied, it's going to go across the board. If you don't like that, I mean, and, and you know, I... That, this isn't the world that I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world where you could just destroy whatever property you want. Um, but this wasn't my idea. And if you're on the left, this was your idea. This is what you wanted. So embrace it. This is all on you. All right, we're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. But a quick bonus item here um, before we get to our daily cancellation. I wanted to, to, to play this for you also um, because I, I thought it would be great to start the year with, uh, well, just with beauty and grace for a change because it's going to be a rough year, I think. Um, but we want to try to begin on the right foot, so to speak. So here is, uh, speaking of beauty and grace, and grace, here's a video of, of, of myself. My wife took this video and posted it online to try to embarrass me, uh, to shame me publicly. But the joke's on her because this is a video that she took this past weekend when we went with the family uh, to a spot in the city to do some ice skating. Now, I have never ice skated before in my life, okay? First time ever, never done it. So my wife was filming, hoping that I would fall, okay? This, she, that's what she, was, she was praying for the fall and that she could get that on, on tape and then put it on Twitter, but it didn't work out. Instead, let's just take a look at this. Let's play the clip here. I want everyone to see this. Go ahead and play it. Um, and if you're just listening to the audio, you're gonna, look at this. Look at the gracefulness. Have you ever seen, now again, I've never ice skated before. Total grace. You know, I could be a figure skater, I could be a hockey player. You would never know. If I showed you that video and I said, oh, there's, a, there's an Olympic figure skater in his little recreational time with the family, you would believe it, wouldn't you? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I, I went like that for 30, 40 seconds. Um, Really great stuff. I thought that would inspire you as well. The, the, the not inspiring part of the video is you see everybody else on the ice, they're all wearing masks. It was just, that was a rather absurd sight. We're outside, we're on the ice, people are you know, spread apart, and everybody's in masks. And they had a mask patrol. I, I didn't have my mask. I had it on, but I had it down, which is how I generally wear my mask. I wear it around my neck, because that way at least I'm protecting my neck from COVID. But um, I got yelled at like three times in the span of the 30 or 40 seconds that I was doing that. The, the, the mask patrol would just skate up. Sir, put the mask on. And as I pointed out, I did have it on. Just didn't have it all the way up. That's all. All right. Here's another good news, news resolution for you. How about uh, stop wasting your own time? Time is money, as they say. Think, of, think about all the time you waste in a year. And you, you, you don't want to tally that up at the end of the year and realize all the other things you could have been doing with your time. Uh, and here's one way to save time and save money, rockauto.com, okay? This is a lot better. If, you've got, if you need auto parts, you can go to the store, you can drive there, you can wait in line, you can do all that. They don't even have what you need anyway, right? And they got to order it online. You just wasted all that time. Save your time, save your money. Go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the markets will bear like airlines tend to do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? It's really as simple as that. Um, rockauto.com, it's a family business. They've been doing this for a long time. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, 
This is the main thing. Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. If you don't believe me, just go to rockauto.com yourself and check it out uh, and you'll see for yourself. It's really easy to navigate and um, there's tons of tons of stuff there, right? There's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a large catalog, but you can navigate it easily and you'll, and you'll quickly see that things are a lot cheaper on rockauto.com than they would be if you went to an auto parts store. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, write Walsh in there, how did you hear about us box, so that they know that we sent you. Uh, also want to tell you about this, it's pretty exciting. There, you know, there's, there's a reason millions of people believe lies about conservatives. We all deal with this, right? And that's because they've been trained to believe those lies by content creators, uh, entertainers who despise us. And they always say politics is downstream from culture. We as a culture are starving for content that's edgy and entertaining and awesome, but that doesn't mock conservative values. You know, that's, that's not, that doesn't, doesn't have it in for us, isn't trying to spread a message that's opposed to our values. Uh, I think we need to give people options. So the Daily Wire is aiming to do just that. What you're about to watch right now is Daily Wire's first motion picture film. It's called Run, Hide, Fight. This is not your stereotypical conservative film. I can tell you that. In fact, it's not particularly political at all. And, and you know, I, I think that's another thing we all probably would like to see more of in movies, which is less politics. Um, it's not a family-friendly film either. It's intense, it's violent, and it has a powerful message to go with it. The movie follows a high school siege by a quartet of school shooters when one young girl, 17-year-old Zoe Hall, uses her wits and her survival skills to fight back. Uh, let's take a look at that now. In between breath. Take the shot. You're doing really good out there, kid. The size of that deer, we're gonna be eating venison all summer. Well, the day's work. I think we need to see somebody again. And by we, you mean me? No, I mean us. Hey, that look in your eye. Guys in my unit had that look. Maybe there's a brochure you can hand me so I can go? Jellic over there? Is he doing something completely weird? Senior prank day. But we'll see all kinds of dumb stuff today. Swim captain, we'll have Thai food delivered to class, and Becky Vaughn will set up her homemade slip and slide. This is high school. Nothing that happens here matters in the real world. Okay, we are in charge now, so please pull out whichever app you use to do live streaming video. Get them up and running and point it at me. Now! Get down on the ground! Any more friends back there? I'm calling 911. Get back to your homeroom and stay put until the... Disturbing news out of Vernon Central High School. Zoe. In between breath, take a shot. Go! Is it safe to say that this might be our guardian angel? Do you want more people to die? That's the last thing I want. I'm gonna kill one person in this room every five minutes. You don't show your face.
Isn't it ironic that after all your hard work, people aren't gonna remember you? No. They're gonna remember me. It's a good trailer. And you know, one thing I can tell you, I've seen the movie. Um, and and th- this is, I, I know it's a concern, right? Anytime, if you hear conservatives are involved in a movie or, you know, we, people that that uh, have a lot of experience watching like Christian movies, this, this is not a Christian movie. Um, but uh, it, one thing, if you have experience with that, you know that a lot of times the acting is not great. The script is not great. It's just a, it's sort of like a low quality affair. Uh, that is not an issue here. That, the acting is very good. The, the lead performance I thought was spectacular. And uh, the script is very good. It, 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 it engages you right from the very first uh, frame to the end. And that's why we're excited to show you this film and bring you something that's never been done before in conservative media. Run, Hide, Fight will be available to watch on Friday, January 15th at dailywire.com. And we'll be doing a special live stream premiere the night before on Thursday, January 14th on the Daily Wire YouTube channel. Let's kick off 2021 by fighting back on culture and creating our own content. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. Now, today we're canceling, not for the first time, probably not the last, Cosmopolitan magazine. In fairness, um, they could be canceled for literally everything that's ever been printed in the pages of their godforsaken publication. But this month's issue, I think, warrants a special mention. On the cover is featured an obese woman smiling proudly with the words, this is healthy, printed across. Now, notice, I want you to notice this, how the body positivity movement has slid inexorably down the predictable slippery slope. Because five years ago, this cover would have looked similar and had a similar message, but instead it would have said something like, this is beautiful. Now, it was wrong to call obesity beautiful, but at least you could argue, wrongly in my view, but at least plausibly, that beauty is subjective. You know, and so, you know, you can call anything beautiful. And the benefit for those promoting the message five years ago was that most people were too afraid to object, thinking that if they argue that obesity isn't beautiful, it would be the same as saying that all fat people are ugly. Of course, it's not the same. It is possible to make the case that obesity isn't beautiful, which it isn't, without calling all fat people ugly in the same way that you can make the case that alcoholism isn't beautiful, which it isn't, without calling all alcoholics ugly. It's not the same thing. Saying alcoholism isn't beautiful is not the same thing as saying you're ugly because you're an alcoholic. Two different things. But we've graduated beyond potentially subjective words like beautiful, and now we're being told that obesity is actually healthy. And this is the way it always goes. This is always the trajectory. You know, the slippery slope is real, and we're on about a thousand different ones in this culture. So we start by, you know, the the left starts by demanding that you accept a false but relatively innocuous or seemingly well-intentioned premise like obesity is beautiful. And once your mind has been properly conditioned, they move to the radical and dangerous conclusion that was always embedded in the original premise, which now is obesity is healthy. So let's read a little bit from this Cosmo article. It says, um... It says, influencer Callie Thorpe is one of social media's best-known advocates of self-love. In 2016, she launched the community page called the Confidence Corner on Instagram to spread positivity to her 250,000 followers. But it really all started with a diet blog in 2012. 
Quote, I thought if I made myself accountable to strangers, I'd lose weight. It made me feel worse than ever. She adds, I had a really terrible relationship with my body growing up. I was always, I always struggled with the fact that it was different to my friends. Um, I tried every single diet. By the way, sidebar here. Most of the time when people say they tried every diet, the problem is precisely that they're just trying the diet. They do it for a few days or a few weeks and they quit. They're dipping their toes into different diet fads, but they give up as soon as, as it becomes difficult. The fact is that almost everyone who says they have, they've tried really hard to lose weight, but haven't, uh, you know, haven't been able to, in almost all cases, they actually haven't tried hard at all. They may have tried momentarily, but not long enough and not consistent enough. That's a simple reality. The idea that it somehow doesn't work to eat healthy, you know, that lots of people would still be morbidly obese even after radically altering their diet and lifestyle to make it more healthy is just absurd. But getting back to the article, it says, these days, Cali adheres to the body neutrality movement, which focuses on what your body can do rather than how it looks. Plus-size people often feel like they can't be part of the wellness space. We're trolled for being fat. Um, then, then can feel excluded from exercise because our bodies don't fit the narrative. First of all, you're not being excluded. Nobody can be excluded from exercise. <laughs> you want to just lay down on your, on your uh, carpet and, and do some crunches. That's, you can't be excluded from doing that. But, uh, I mean, that, that's one excuse to not exercise, I guess. Uh, you know, I was going to go jogging today, but I've been, they excluded me. I got excluded from jogging. I can't. And from there, the article goes on to chronicle the stories of uh, various other women, some of whom are in fine shape, others who are also morbidly obese. The, me the message is that they've all learned to love their bodies and that all of their body types are healthy. Not surprisingly, no attempt is made to scientifically or logically defend the proposition that obesity is healthy. It's merely asserted with an exclamation point, and we're meant to accept it at face value. The only defense is, as always, an emotional one. The argument seems to be that obesity is healthy because it makes fat people feel bad when you say obesity is not healthy. This is similar to the argument that a man is a woman because it makes him feel bad when you say he's not a woman. The irony is that the phrase body acceptance is used in this article, uh, referring to a woman named Jessamine Stanley, also obese. It says, quote, the journey to body acceptance is something that has taken her a long time, that being Jessamine. Quote, body shaming was one of the first things I learned to do. I grew up in a community where all of my physical attributes, wide nose, big belly, big ass, big lips, dark skin, were deemed ugly. Now, first of all, these things are not all the same, okay? Um, one of these things is not like the others, right? The size of your nose, your lips, so the, the color of your skin, these cannot be naturally changed, and they shouldn't be unnaturally changed either, in my opinion. But the size of your belly can be changed. And given that an overly bulbous belly is hazardous to your physical well-being, you should change it. Just because there are some things about yourself that you should proudly embrace, like your skin color, your nose size, that doesn't mean that all things about you should be proudly embraced. But going back to the body acceptance phrase, it strikes me that this is exactly what the body acceptance movement is not doing. Body acceptance is what they are opposing, not what they're promoting. You haven't accepted something if you refuse to acknowledge the full reality of it. An addict hasn't reached the stage of acceptance if he's still claiming that he doesn't have, that he doesn't have a problem. 
You aren't accepting your obese body if you're insisting that it's healthy and wonderful. That's denial, not acceptance. It's the opposite. Yes, obese people should accept that they are obese. And then they should work to change it. Because it could very likely kill them if they don't. That's what acceptance looks like. And this obesity is healthy stuff takes on an even more sinister tone when you consider the timing. COVID is still surging out there, and it's well known that the obese are especially vulnerable to it. So you're already more likely to die of heart disease and dozens of other complications uh, due to obesity, and COVID adds just yet another danger on top of that. Cosmo wants you to embrace that danger. Cosmo wants you to be a martyr for body acceptance. It wants you to love your obesity so much that you allow it to kill you. And that's insane. And for that, Cosmo is canceled. Cosmo has the honor of being the first cancellation of the new year. Many more to come. But for now, that'll do it for us. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, the Michael Knowles Show, and the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm. 